Welcome to Bible and Bourbon with Pastor Ben. Today we are covering Matthew chapter 12, 22 through 37, Beelzebub, the Prince of Demons. Before we move into our prayer request for this week, I have a personal joy. I was featured on the Bluegrass Bourbon Guys first podcast. I sat down with him and had a nice glass of bourbon and discussed a bit of my faith journey and bourbon here in Kentucky in general. If you'd like to check that out, you can go to his Facebook page, that is the Bluegrass Bourbon Guy, and listen to that first podcast there. Our prayer request comes from a listener who is entering into the first 5K run this weekend. It is the first time they've done any sort of run of any kind. They went from couch to 5K in the last few months. So please keep them in their prayers and know that we are celebrating with you because I am sure you will finish. Now, let's start our study off with a prayer. Almighty God, we come to you, the creator of all goodness, to find the peace we have within our hearts. Lord, we know that you make everything right in the world in your own way, and that if we trust in you, all will be made right in our lives. We pray this in your son's holy and great name. Amen. Today, I am drinking Booker's Bourbon. It's the one that comes in that nice wooden box with the glass in the front. It is Ronnie's Batch. It is a wonderful bourbon, has a great oaky flavor with a bit of a chocolate hint, especially after the nose. If you do want to learn more about particularly tasting bourbon, you want to go ahead and listen to the Bluegrass Bourbon Guys podcast that I was on. So if that's something you're interested in, go ahead and listen to that podcast. But let's go ahead and we'll start with our reading today. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 37. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How can his kingdom stand? And if we drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or, again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. 
You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for the empty word that they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, or by your words you will be condemned. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 through 37. So this scripture is often discussed, honestly, by people who have no idea what they're talking about. This scripture lends itself to such poor interpretations because Jesus is being incredibly direct here. This passage is about the unforgivable or unpardonable sin. Similar passages to this one we read in Matthew are found in both the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus here speaks with authority as he says that all sins can be forgiven except for blasphemy against the Spirit, which leads some people to fear that they might commit this sin. Because if they commit this sin, then, well, they're up a creek without a paddle. There's nothing you can do about it. Once you've committed it, you're going to spend eternity in fire and damnation. And this fear is what leads so many people to try to interpret this passage in some way that suits the person interpreting it. Because a lot of biblical interpretation is done by people who have a certain idea of what they want this scripture to say. Or, in some cases, a fear about what this scripture might say. But the problem with this scripture in particular is it's incredibly difficult to understand outside of its original context. And we have problems, as cultural shifts have happened since the time of Jesus when he had this interaction with the Pharisees. We, as we read this scripture in English, lose some of the original meaning, not just culturally, but also from the fact that we are not reading it in Greek. And no matter how much we discuss the English interpretation, we lose some of the value. Because the words we read are not the words that are actually written in Greek. Just look at the word spirit. The word we see as spirit in English is not the word spirit in Greek, but in fact, a different word altogether. But we'll get to that in time. Because I want to start by discussing this demon and the son of David. This scripture starts, as many other scriptures do, with Jesus healing a man who was blind and mute. Jesus healed him quite easily. In all of the healing narratives across the gospel, Jesus heals or casts out demons with just a mere word, or sometimes a mere touch. The romanticized view of an exorcist that we see in movies in Hollywood is not the exorcist we have in the Bible. And after this demon leaves this man and he is healed, the people come to Jesus and call him the son of David. 
And this is one of the many ways that Jesus is addressed when people are talking about his particular holiness. You'll also sometimes hear him called the Son of Man, which is just another term that gets to the same point that the Son of David does. They are popular ways for people in this culture, in this time, to address someone as the Messiah. Messiah simply meaning anointed one originally, but over time it came to be understood as something more. Someone anointed to lead a a kingdom-wide revolution. Someone like Jesus. And this Messiah was to come from the line of David. So, he would be a son of David. The people were simply calling Jesus, what we know him to be, the Messiah. But as they are calling him this son of David, the Pharisees become upset because he is not their Messiah. He is not what they expect the Messiah to be. He is not their son of David. So, instead, they call him Beelzebub. This, again, is a cultural reference. Beelzebub today is known as a reference for Satan or for a demon in general. But the name Beelzebub comes from the Canaanite god Baal. And in 2 Kings, we have a clear reference to Beelzebub being the deity worshipped by the Philistines in the city of Akron. So, While this name is a generic term for a demon or Satan, it really was adopted as such. Originally, it was the name of a foreign god. And as Christians, we wouldn't see foreign gods as being demons. They're not. They are absolutely nothing. They have no power whatsoever, demonic or heavenly or any other way. They are... Nothing more than a statue in a house. So they're not referring to a particular demon, Beelzebub, the Pharisees, when they are discussing Jesus. They are referring instead to a generic evil force. So don't imagine a prince of demon and Dante's Inferno. That's not what they're talking about. They're talking about an evil force in general. So, they are saying that Jesus is not the son of David. He's not the anointed Messiah of God, but instead he is some demonic Messiah, a son of the devil. Jesus isn't doing good work from a good place, but instead he's doing good work from a place of evil. Which really doesn't make much sense, right? Why would an evil person do good work? And that's what starts this discussion. Jesus is kind of jumping in to this illogical conclusion that the Pharisees have reached, asking them if it makes sense that he would work from a place of good or evil. Now, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of the word spirit and God. We're going to expand upon them because if blaspheming against the spirit is this unforgivable sin, 
we should at least know what spirit he's referring to. Now, as I mentioned before, spirit isn't spirit. In Greek, it's something a little more complicated. And additionally, the word spirit and Holy Spirit are not the same. When Jesus said these two things, there was a qualifier on the one that was left off of the first. The first time he mentions the Spirit, he says the Spirit of God. In Greek, the word God is quite clear. It is theos. All throughout the New Testament, that is the word that's used to refer to God. In the Old Testament, we see Yahweh or El. Those are not as common in the New Testament. And instead, this word theos is how God is often referenced. So this spirit comes from God. But the word spirit isn't spirit. Instead, it is the word pneumonium, like the word pneumonia today, uh, that illness that hopefully you haven't had, but you might have heard of. Uh, Pneumonia, when you have it, is an infection in your lungs. It affects your breathing in particular, because this word in Greek means breath. But breath in Greek is not simply breath. It also takes on a religious sense, meaning your essence, your soul, your spirit. But truly, the word is your breath. Because your breath, in some way, possesses your spirit. You breathe in, you breathe out, you are alive. When you stop breathing, you no longer exist. Your spirit has left you. Your breath has left you. So a direct translation of this would not be spirit of God, but breath of God. Meaning, Jesus said, if I am working through the breath of God, then the kingdom of God is here. And I like that, because you can feel breath. You can see breath as it fogs a mirror. You can feel it in front of you, the heat that comes off your breath on a cold day. And if that breath of God is here, then the kingdom must also be present. And then we have this parable, a parable of a strong man being bound in his house and his possessions being stolen. Now. This parable also is an interesting parable because in it, it seems as if Jesus is the one stealing from the man's house because it seems like this is a reference to Jesus and the breath of God binding Satan and stealing his possessions, this blind and mute man, and saying that Jesus has bound the strong man and he cannot do anything anymore. Satan is not powerful. He is bound to a chair, and Jesus has full run of his home. There is nothing that Satan possesses that is his. All of it is Jesus's now. The power of Satan does not compare to the breath of God. And then we get this rather unique discussion of the unpardonable sin. And this is really where those poor translations, well, show their inadequacy. People often read this scripture and say, if you utter a blasphemous word against the Holy Spirit, you are immediately going to hell. 
But that's not really the point here. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who would volunteer in a local counseling office, particularly dealing with patients who were gripped with a fear over blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. There are people who refuse to leave their homes, refuse to do anything because they are afraid that they might in some way sin against the Spirit and they might be thrown into hell for the rest of eternity. He would come and talk to these people and get them to understand that this sin is not necessarily what they think it is and get them to go on and live their lives without this fear looming over them. Because Jesus here wasn't trying to draw some arbitrary line in the sand. It's not that simple. It's not just swearing against the Spirit. In fact, I knew a pastor that before he baptized anyone, he asked them if they had blasphemed the Holy Spirit in their past. And now when he told me this, I asked him, has anyone ever told you that they blasphemed the Holy Spirit? And if they did, what would you do? He said, if they had told me they blasphemed the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't baptize them because it would make no difference for me to baptize them because they were already condemned. And then he continued, but luckily no one has ever answered yes. So I followed up. What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? And he looked at me for a second and he said, well, you know, uh, uh, condemning the Spirit. And I said, give me an example. What is something that someone could do to blaspheme the Spirit? And he paused for a second and he said, I don't quite know, but I'm sure they would know it if they did it. Now, maybe I'm just a little bit too hard-nosed here, but if there truly is a question that you ask each person before they are baptized, you should probably know what the answer is, right? If you're asking if they blasphemy the Holy Spirit, you should know what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. But the problem is, For the most part, these pastors who are interpreting this scripture have absolutely no idea what the blasphemy that Jesus is talking about is or what this spirit is in general. Because the Holy Spirit is, in some ways, a bit unknown in our scripture. The Son and the Father are both two very well-known pieces of the Trinity, while the Holy Spirit is... Well, in some ways, it's a bit of a mystery. In the Old Testament, it's called ruach, which is another word for breath of God. And here in the New Testament, it's often seen as the breath of God or the breath of the holy, which is how it's referred to here. Because in Greek, the first word is that same word for breath. And then we have a Greek word for of the, and then a final word for holy. So it's not Holy Spirit, but instead in Greek, it is breath of the holy. Breath of the holy. Blasphemy against the breath of the holy is the unpardonable sin. So what does that mean? What would be blasphemy against the breath of the holy? Well, 
If we look back at what Jesus was talking about in the scripture and in this interaction with the Pharisees, blasphemy against the breath of the holy would be taking things that belong to God, the good works that people do through God, and attributing them to evil. Exactly what the Pharisees did. That's the unpardonable sin. It's not swearing against the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't some way more jealous than God or Jesus. It's not that at all. It's taking things that are good, things that are perfect, and in some way describing them as evil. And that's what that final parable tells us. You recognize a good tree by its fruit. Only a good tree will bear good fruit, and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. The breath of the holy breeds good fruit, while the prince of demon, Beelzebub, evil, bears bad fruit. That is the sin. The sin which the Pharisees committed. So hopefully, you don't have to live your lives in fear, but if you are in some way gripped by a fear that you might blaspheme the Holy Spirit, I know someone you could call. As always, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. If you have any questions or want to reach out with any prayer requests, please reach out to me at bibleperiodbourbon at gmail.com. As always, it is true that Jesus drank wine, but an occasional glass is different than an addiction. If you need help, please seek it. If you need help but don't know where to look, please reach out to me and I'd be happy to guide you. Blessings, everyone.